Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. I think I finally got my uh, microphone working here. <laughs> so, anyway, so anyway, we're talking about plugging into the Tree of Life or plugging into the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. The Plugging into the Tree of Life requires the humility to realize that you can't figure it out on your own and that you can only be shown the truth by God. You have to let him write upon your heart and your mind. Now, the problem is, which God? Because evil will pretend to be God. And it will do this often through your emotions and through the flesh and through the the world and through intimidation. All kinds of influences will come on you and try to make you think that uh, you are following God and you are not following God. Christ warned about this. He said, many would think that they were following me and they are actually not following him. They thought they were doing great things in his name, but they were actually doing wickedness, contrary. That's going to be difficult for a lot of people to accept. They want to believe that they're right. They've been right all along. That they're, you know, they're saved. That they're, that they're, you know, loved by God. And they are loved by God. But he's not going to let you in the kingdom. He's not going to hear your prayers. He's not going to, you know, he says these things over and over again. They say, well, all we have to do is believe in Jesus. Which Jesus? Which is the real Jesus? So, anyway, I, I told a number of people that I would talk about a particular topic that was brought up uh, on Facebook on a group. And I, I look at these things and these conversations from time to time just to kind of, and I ponder them. I make some responses and people respond back. And the original question, just to get right to it, is anyone here know for certain if 501c3 requirements includes a particular interpretation of Romans 13 and other questionable verses on authority. And so anyway, I, I, I thought the question was not worded very well to begin with, but I understand why it was worded that way is because they don't understand things like 501c3 and most people Many people probably don't even know. 501c3 is is suggested to be a status for a church. A church is either 501c3 or it's not 501c3. This is the comes up in conversations amongst people who go to church. And the reality is all churches are considered 501c3, whether they file with the IRS or not. 501c3 is just a way of numbering codes 501, Section C, Section 3. And it's for charitable institutions. It's not for churches. Churches don't have to file. They're automatically considered 501C3, whether they file or not. So what is a church? Well, this is, all these codes are written for things like, you know, groups like the IRS and, and, and the people that are subject to those rules. 
And so the IRS, you ask the IRS what a church is, and the IRS and Congress can't define what a church is. So they have 14 criteria that they look for to determine whether an organization is a church or not. And the and we, we list them off in books like the Free Church Report, which you can read free online. And we have footnotes to show you where we get this, so we're not just making it up. You know, I've gone back to Washington, D.C. and talked to people who, who who look at all these different things. You don't have to have all 14 of these criteria to qualify in their minds for a church. But all these rules, you just have a number of them and then they will accept the fact that you're a church. And then certain rules apply to them. One of those rules is that churches do not have to file a 1023 to be considered 501c3. Yet people go around thinking and I've had pastors come to me and say do I have to file a 1023 uh, by law and I show them the law I give them a pamphlet we have them for free uh, you can download them for free and print them up yourself and it quotes the law shows you the law in the United States and there are similar similar laws in many other countries that churches do not have to file this 1023 to be considered 501c3. If they do file, they list off disadvantages and advantages. And one of the disadvantages is you become strictly regulated. And they can take away your 501c3 status if you violate those regulations. If you don't file and you meet just some of the criteria of being a church, you're automatically considered 501c3 with an exemption. But the reality is the statutes say that churches are mandatorily excluded. In the course of this conversation about this, and I just simply went online, uh, found our article on Body of Christ versus the Body of the State, has all this covered in there. And it's, you know, you can find it at Preparing You. You can find it at HisHolyChurch.org, HisHolyChurch.net. You can find it lots of different places. In PDF format, HTML, PHP, all kinds of different formats. And we give it all away free. But I just simply clipped out the sections that explain this and sent it to them. And I've told this to pastors, handed them the pamphlet. They read the pamphlet. And then they went and paid a lawyer 700 bucks to tell them the exact same thing that we already had in the pamphlet. Why? Why would they do that? Take 700 bucks of Christ's money and give it to a lawyer to find out that he's going to tell you that this is exactly what we have footnotes to show you and take you right. They just can't believe it. Now, the the real thing that we want people to start to understand is that not the requirements of the IRS or the guidelines that the IRS, the 14 guidelines that they put down to determine whether or not you're a church. We want you to figure out the guidelines of Jesus Christ to figure out if you're his church. <laughs> because there's lots of, there's a church of Satan out there. There's all kinds of churches out there. Are they doing what Christ said? Because I just explained to you that Christ warned that many people would say they are Christians, probably say they are the church, say they are doing what Christ said, and they are not. And it really isn't very hard to show you that they are not the church established by Christ. And they are not doing what Christ said to do. It's not hard to do, to show you. 
actual facts. You can just, a lot of times you can just go to the polity of the church. You can go and see what they're doing and say, is this what Christ said to do? And in many cases, you find out that it is the opposite of what Christ said to do. But in order to show you these things, you have to be willing to sit down and look at the facts. People don't want to look at the facts. They want to believe in their church. They want to believe in the doctrines of their church. They want to believe in the image of Christ that was created by these churches. Even though you can easily show, wait wait a minute, Christ said don't do this. Right here. He says don't do this. It's not to be that way with you. And you're doing it. And they should then say, oh my gosh, you're right. We're doing exactly what Christ said not to do. And we need to stop that. Well, they can't get their pastor to stop doing it. We can't get their pastor to stop saying it. So they they don't want to look at it. And you, you can tell that you're getting close to the truth because they start giving you all kinds of flack and they start calling you a cult and they start getting all upset. And you ask them, well, what are you so upset about? Oh, you're preaching something different than what Christ said. No, we're quoting Christ. This is what he said right here. And are you doing what he said to do? Are you doing what he said not to do? This is simple stuff. It's not complicated. And they, they're all upset. And they're all angry. And that there's something wrong with us. Because they don't want to change. They don't want to see the truth. And so they fight against it. So back to this. Uh, and so... And we, I can't talk about people except in the most general terms, except if when you want to get to the specifics. And that's why we have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of recordings, uh, hundreds of web pages that deal with these specifics, you know, the facts, nothing but the facts, and show you that Christ said, don't do this. Christ said, commanded you that you did this, and... You know, like I just read an article where somebody who had been feeding the poor out on the streets, I guess it was in L.A., are closing their doors. They've been feeding hundreds and hundreds of poor once a week because they can't comply with regulations of the state. And they're saying how the state is so bad because it makes these regulations. And and it may be bad. But to me, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, well, wait a minute. You're not doing what Jesus said. You're not doing what Jesus commanded. You're complaining about the state, but you're not doing what Jesus commanded. If you would just do what Jesus commanded, you could do this. You could, you could keep feeding the poor and the needy of society. Now, when did Jesus feed the poor and the needy of society? Well, we know he did it with the loaves and fishes. But, you know, what did he do before He fed them with the loaves and fishes. Because he did something before. It's right there in the text. He said that his apostles, his ministers, his disciples, they were disciples at that time, students, learning the ways of the kingdom. He commanded that they do something before anybody got fed. Before you started handing out food on the street corners for to the homeless. He commanded that they do something. Those people weren't doing it. They weren't doing what Jesus commanded. They just wanted to go out, load up vans with food, and go out and feed the poor. 
I guess it made them feel good or something. And it, it fed the poor at least once a week because I think they only did it once a week. Like on Fridays, they'd go out and feed the poor. And then there's probably days of preparation before they went out and did it, but then they couldn't do it anymore because of state regulations. But they weren't following the regulations of Jesus Christ because he commanded that they do something before they feed anybody. What did he command them to do? Now, some of you who listen regularly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Most people who don't listen to us but go to other churches or read the Bible, they haven't got a clue. What what did Jesus command that his disciples do before these 5,000 people? Actually, it was way more than 5,000. It was 5,000 men and their families. So, I mean, it could have been 20,000, 30,000 people. Before they were going to get one loaf, one fish, or anything to eat from Jesus Christ, they had to do something. And what they had to do was sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And why would they have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? Well, it makes it easier to distribute the food. (laughs) That's for sure. But it also was going to require that the people start sitting down in cooperation with each other and concern for each other and making sure that each other had enough to eat. And of course, that just takes us back to what John the Baptist said at the beginning. John the Baptist said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Somebody was telling me on Facebook that the kingdom of God is within us. It's within all of us. It's already there. We just don't all recognize it. Well, that goes back to that divine spark that we were talking about earlier. That divine spark is in all of us, but we're not plugged into it. So it just sits there atrophying, solidifying. You know, it doesn't work. It's not functioning. It's not being used. Because we're plugged on over here into the tree of knowledge, trying to figure out what is true and what is not true and what is right and what is wrong. You don't really have to do all that. You know, we we have a lot of information, a lot of facts, and we lay them all out, and we have a logical way of 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 speaking about it. Because you know, we say if this is so, then this would have to be so, and this would follow this. If these things line up, then this is going to be the result. And it's a question of logic, right reason is what they used to call it, logos. The word logos comes from the same source as this word logic. It has to do with right reason. And right reason is divine will. It is, it's, it's plugging into that vibratory frequency of God that is going to produce a certain results. If you don't plug into the right source, you're going to get different results. And those results may be chaotic. So you have to plug into that. So anyway, back to what Christ commanded. He commanded that the people be made to sit down in groups of 10, in groups of 100, in groups uh, of uh, 1,000, to the tune of 5,000 families organized in these 10s, 100s, and 50, which would make 5,000 families. And then they could distribute the food, the bread and fishes and whatever they had available. 
so that the people would all have equality of care for them. But it was actually done through charity. This is the miracle of it, is they did it through sharing, making sure that everybody had enough, and they actually ended up having extra left over. And if you if you aren't doing that, you're not doing what Christ commanded. You're not it's not a Christian enterprise. It's not a Christ like enterprise. Because he didn't say feed everybody and then eventually we'll work on getting organized. He said get organized and then we'll feed everybody. So that's a that's a real basic thing. So that's one of the requirements of Christ. It has nothing to do with 501c3 because those are requirements to deal with the state. But the church, the state is the world. When Jesus says my kingdom's not of this world, the word world there, we've gone over this, means constitutional order or system of government. That's the state. When we say the word state, we usually think of a government. There actually before there was a government, there was a state, but it was the state that you lived in, which was the state of your body. You had two legs, two arms, a life, a heart beating, maybe you uh, became uh, married and then you were no more twain but one so now you ha- you're in the state of marriage but you also you know which is a contractual agreement between you and your spouse and and you actually c- consummate that agreement in the reproduction of children which is the society to come but that's the state that you live in You can also make contracts with other people, agreements with other people, and become a corporate state. You know, a community uh, that is one. But the Bible tells us in the Ten Commandments to make no covenants like that. So how do you come together? Well, Christ is very clear. You come together in faith, hope, and charity. You love one another. And it creates invisible bonds that are not contractual. That it, but are based on faith, hope, and charity. That's what the congregations of the people are supposed to be doing. That's and In order to facilitate that, they sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's what the early church was doing at Pentecost. That's what it was doing at the loaves and fishes. That's the way it was organized throughout Europe. All over is in these tens, hundreds, and thousands, which was commonly understood by people back in those days. There was another church that rose up around 300 A.D. that did not do that. They had centralized leaders who made rules and regulations. That's that's not what Christ was doing because he specifically forbade his disciples who were appointed the kingdom to exercise authority one over the other. So that's a different kind of church. They're, they're not trying to come in agreement with their pastor or some ruler or some bishop or some pope. They're trying to come into agreement with Christ. They do this in a setting of tens, hundreds, and thousands that are actually taking care of the needs of society in the practice of pure religion. Again, religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. It was the performance of your duty to God, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, it manifested itself by taking care of one another. If you were actually Christians taking care of one another, 
And somebody came along and said, let's try socialism. You would go like, why would we want to do that? <laughs> what, what? That would be, you know, what is socialism? It's, it's community owns everything. And somebody elects somebody in the community to redistribute everything. And so somebody's going to be in a position of exercising authority one over the other. That's diametrically opposed to what Christ said to do. Absolutely opposed to what Christ said to do. He said, you're not to be that way. But you were to take care of the needy of your society. But through charity. In order to do that practically, you needed to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Then then you you get men who will help redistribute the loaves and fishes that are provided through the rightly dividing the bread from house to house. This is this is the nature of the kingdom. In order for the church to be separate from the world, and again, now what's the church? See? We we throw out these terms and then we have to go into a big long explanation because you don't know what the word church means. That actually came up in this long conversation on Facebook in this private group as to what the church is. Well, the church is translated from a word that means called out. It's translated from ecclesia. It doesn't mean congregation. It doesn't mean assembly. It means called out. Now, the called out may assemble, but there are four, five, six, seven other Greek words that are used that can be translated into symbol, uh, assemble or congregation, and they are not related to the word ekklesia. Ekklesia means the called out, and it's actually a civil term. It's a governmental term. And it's used in the New Testament to reference the church in the wilderness. Who was the church in the wilderness? Well, who was the called out in the wilderness? That was the Levites. I can show you in documents of early church, early, early church, that the church took over the role of the Levites. Now, that's not popular with a lot of ministers today because that, but it's also not popular that the church is supposed to be taking care of all the social welfare of the people through faith, hope, and charity so that nobody has to go to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. So how do you do that? So we've created a, 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 a system, an electronic system by which you can join a network of people that are out there in uh, the world, in Australia or wherever. And uh, it's based on geography. So you can join a group in New York and get all the states around New York. And then you can post to that group that you want to gather with other people. Of course, we have people that still have the old ideas of church that I want to gather with a congregation of saints. And I always say, why in the world would you think that you were eligible for a congregation of saints? Are you a saint? <laughs> Whatever a saint is. Most people don't understand the word saint. A, a saint is someone who is separate. That's what it means. It doesn't mean somebody who's devout, although he should be devout. It, it, I mean, what is devout? Devout means that he is in the process of piously performing his duty to God and his fellow man. That's what devout really means. And pious performance is the, a, a performance of respect to the Father. What Father? 
our Father in heaven, which makes us brothers. So the called out are supposed to be brothers who belong to God in heaven, who are not a part of the world, the constitutional order and systems of government, that are separate, therefore saints. I don't know whether they're going to heaven or not, but they need to be separate. (laughs) You know, that's another thing that came up in the last, uh, actually this week as well as before, where somebody is trying so hard to be separate from the world system. You know, the new world order. They want to be separate. Being separate doesn't make you righteous. It just makes you separate. You know, and, and separate may be good, may be bad. But it's not righteousness. It's not even counted as righteousness. It's just being separate. Well, the ministers of the church should be separate from the world. They, that's why they are automatically considered 501c3. <laughs> uh, but they are separate from that world. And they are operating by faith, hope, and charity. Most of your pastors are not separate from the world. They are dependent upon the world and the men who exercise authority one over the other for their benefits. That's completely contrary to what Christ said. But anyway, we'll have to talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we'll get to the second part of his question when we do. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, the key to the kingdom is humility enough so that you could admit that you might be wrong about what you already think is true. (laughs) And that you can't figure it out without some sort of divine intervention. And that is expressed in the idea of eating of the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in other words, try to decide for yourself what is good and evil, you're going to be out there like like Cain and Lamech and Nimrod creating city-states that will be at least based somewhat in the socialist concept of men who exercise authority can take away from some of the people to provide for some of the other people, which is a covetous practice. So it's really very basic. If there's any... Uh, you know, people say coveting. They don't even understand the word coveting. Uh, you know, it's like you, you're looking at an ad and you see a real nice car and you say, Oh, wow. I'd like to have a car like that. They say, Oh, you're coveting. No, that's not coveting. Coveting is when you see your neighbor has a really nice car and you want his car. <laughs> It's not when you want a car like his car. It's when you want his car. It's like coveting his wife. You see a guy who has a really great wife and she's just, you know, the perfect, uh, she's more precious than a ruby. And you say, uh, which is a quote from the Bible. (laughs) And you say, I would like to have a wife like that someday. I just admire her so much. She is just fantastic. And I would like to have a wife like that someday. That's not coveting. Uh, that's just an expression of what you would like. You know, where you would like to go with your life. <laughs> when you say, I want his wife. That's coveting. And of course, that's what socialism is. They they see somebody has money and security. And they say, I want that security. 
well, that's fine to want that security, but when you want it at his expense, even a little bit, that's coveting. So that's very important to understand that socialism in any form includes the idea of coveting. And of course, the Corbin of the Pharisees was a socialist system. It's where you had to pay in and somebody else was going to redistribute the wealth. In the kingdom of God, there is redistribution of wealth. But you get to decide how that's done. Now, to do it practically, you know, you can't just wander around and, oh, I found a widow today who was starving, so I fed her today. And then what happens to her tomorrow? So you have to create some way to organize that giving so that somebody is not overlooked or somebody doesn't get too much. And the way that Christ did this, the way that Moses did this, was he took certain men, put restrictions on those men, and that they couldn't do certain things. And they had to be separate from the world. And then people get to decide whether or not to give to those men if they see those men doing a good job of rightly dividing the bread from house to house. If they're not doing a good job, it's your responsibility as a seeker of the kingdom to not give to that unrighteous man who's doing a poor job, sleeping in till 10 or whatever it is that he's doing wrong. That's the kingdom of God. It requires... Practically speaking, that you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The church is the called out men who are to facilitate that network of charity and love. You have the responsibility of deciding which men are really called out by Christ. That's one of the things I see all the time that people are picking ministers and then they find out they're molesting children or they're sleeping with other men's wives and they're doing all these other things. They're certainly not taking care of the needy of society. Uh, they, they wouldn't even know how to change a colostomy bag <laughs> or whatever it is that they need to do uh, to help take care of the needy of society. And yet, people are electing them. Why? Because they're ear ticklers. They say, you're saved because you thought a thought. Because you said a word. Or a group of words. And so, therefore, you're saved. And that makes you feel good. And you cling to the wreckage of that church. Because that is not the church established by Jesus Christ. People don't want to hear that. But I'm sorry. I'm not in the business of tickling your ears. I'm in the business of telling you the truth. That's why they call me Gregory. (laughs) So anyway, you're just going to have to figure this out. So what is the second part of this question that this fellow had originally? I think I kind of know the person. I don't think I've ever met him, but the the name is familiar. I think he was actually in our network and he kind of comes and goes. And so he's, he's never really been in the network in a practical sense the way Christ did. So, I mean, shouldn't get any loaves and fishes from us until he actually is willing to sit down in the pattern that Christ commanded and Moses commanded and Lamech, the the good Lamech, there was a good Lamech, there was a bad Lamech (laughs) commanded. And uh, anyway, his question, the 501c3 requirements included a particular interpretation of Romans 13. I don't have any idea what he's talking about. I mean, Romans 13 meant something that referring to what Paul wrote in Romans 13. It meant something specific. 
your interpretation of it is irrelevant to what Paul meant. That's just your opinion. Now, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. But neither my opinion nor your opinion changes what Paul's opinion was. Romans 13 has a specific meaning. It's up to you to figure out what it is. If you plug into the Holy Spirit, that divine spark, that yod, that tree of life, you should start figuring out what it means. You know, like uh, we've got several programs on it. And one of them, you know, I kind of critique the uh, uh, the book that was put out uh, by a particular pastor up in Montana and his son. And um, you know, they're actually wrong about their interpretation of Romans 13. They are, in spiritual terms, very close to understanding what Romans 13 is saying. They're just technically incorrect uh, concerning their interpretation, in my humble opinion. And so I talk about it and I explain why I think they're incorrect. I think they're on the right track in the sense that they're they're realizing there's a problem of looking to government. They haven't quite figured out what pure religion is, at least last I seen. They, they've kind of fallen out of grace. They used to be on this radio station. I don't know if they still are or not. Um, I haven't mentioned their name uh, right now, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem that it's appropriate for me to mention their name. I mean, we have the audios up. And I don't want to get into personality arguments or, or throw out ad hominems. And I, the fact that I may disagree with somebody's interpretation, my interpretation, my opinion, disagrees with their opinion. That's just people discussing things. The reality is there is an opinion that Paul has. And that's what Paul meant. There is an opinion that God has. And that is reality. So Romans 13 was really about let every man choose uh liberty this is what he's actually saying there because there is no liberty but of God and all liberty comes from God that's what he's talking about in Romans 13 he goes on to say that the powers of the world you know the systems of the world are there to punish the wicked you got to remember Paul's not a part of the world he wasn't even in truth uh, this will take more explanation than we have time for right now, but we have an article up on it, recordings on it. Paul was not a citizen of Rome. A citizen of Rome would be somebody who was entitled as Quirus. They they were actually a civil citizen of Rome. That's not what Paul said. Paul said he was Romeos. That's different. And we explain in great detail by going into the exact uh, nature of citizenship in Rome, what Romeos actually means, why the head of the cohort had to pay a great sum for this ro- status of Romeos, which was, would be ridiculous to think that that's citizenship of Rome because anybody who was even a legionnaire, much less the head of the cohort, automatically got Roman citizenship. They did not automatically get the status of Romeos. So that's that's just flat out misinterpretation 
uh, misinterpretation of the actual language that the Bible was written in. And it comes from ignorance of history, law, the history of law at that time, the history of politics at that time, which is also why people don't understand the word ecclesia. And part of the reason they don't understand these things is because there is an actual conspiracy of the heart and uh, occasionally conspiracy of the mind of people who are in power in religious circles who don't want you to know the truth. But all that can be overcome with humility and a willingness to plug in to the tree of life. The problem with plugging into the tree of life is you're not only going to see the truth about other people, which many people are willing to see the truth about other people, but you're also going to have to take a look at the truth about yourself. And people don't want to see the truth about themselves. They don't want to... And, you know, one of the ways in which you see the truth about yourself, or one of the ways you plug in to the tree of life, is you have to be still. Be still and know. Wait upon the Lord. I'll give you an analogy. If you have that little plate that we talked about that's vibrating, and uh, it vibrates and all the sand forms a little pattern on the surface of the plate, and you change the frequency and it forms another pattern, you change it back, it forms the original pattern again. So that pattern is determined by that frequency that is being generated underneath the plate. If you take your finger... And just touch that plate in one place or another. You'll disrupt the pattern. It will change. It will not be asymmetrical. You've absorbed part of, or you blocked part of that frequency. And now the pattern is distorted by the presence of that block. So, you can't hear the Lord. if You're spending all your time listening to preachers. Or listening to this, uh, you know, to to me, even. You know, I, I've said this many times where it actually concerns me when somebody starts quoting me back. I hear my words coming out of their mouth. And, of course, that's going to happen sometimes. as in, And it's okay. But it concerns me. Because I worry that they're... They're not listening to the Holy Spirit. They're memorizing what I'm saying and repeating it back as if... And that's a sign of a cult if people start doing that. Now, it's okay if you, you know, you can quote now and then and all that stuff and I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I don't want to say it like Brother Gregory says it. No, you can. That's okay. (laughs) But you... It needs to be coming from your heart. And it needs to be coming because you're plugged into the tree of life. And again, back to that plugging into the tree of life, that Christ consciousness, some people call it that, but I don't want to get into the Rosicrucian groups or anything. Because uh, all that, you start labeling people and start labeling these ideas. Uh, you start binding the people up. And I'm trying to set you free. I, that's That's my desire. I cannot set you free. You can be set free by Christ because Christ can will guide you Without ruling over you. That was one of the temptations of Christ. He's not going to rule over you. He's not going to force you. He's not going to twist your arm. He he will guide you. That spirit. That Holy Spirit. Writing upon your heart and your mind. Will guide you. 
I'm talking about these things because if you suddenly think socialism is a good thing, if you think that a strong, powerful government ruling over your neighbor is a good thing, this is evidence that's not God talking to you in your heart, in your mind. <laughs> they aren't good things. I don't want to do away with them. I don't want to do away with strong governments. I mean, I don't want totalitarian dictatorships around, obviously, you know, going out and killing millions and millions of people. But the governments have a purpose there. Just the same as, you know, when the people came to Samuel and they said they wanted to have a king. Now, God knew they were going to do this, and he explained already what they were to write down in their constitution. He gave five elements to put into their constitution if they ever decide to have a king. That's already covered in Deuteronomy. Most people have no knowledge of that. We've written a whole book on it, and that whole book is free online. Constitutions, Covenants, uh, what is, actually it's, uh, I can't even remember. Constitution, Covenants and Contracts, or Contracts, Covenants and Constitution, the CCC book. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, it explains those five elements that are supposed to be in a Constitution. They're not in the U.S. Constitution. One of them is, but the rest of them are not. And then the one that is, most people don't even understand it. But anyway, the point is, is that if you, if they wanted to have a king, he said, this is what's going to happen. He's going to take and take and take and take and take. He's going to even take your sons and daughters. Worst thing is not that he's taking and taking and taking and taking, because he says he's going to take so much, eventually you're going to cry out. But the worst of the warning is that when you cry out, God's not going to hear you. He's not going to hear you when you cry out. And all these people complaining about authoritarian government and taxing too much and all this stuff, you're missing it. You want to overcome that? You have to change the way you think. That's called repentance. That's what repentance means, changing the way you think. You have to sit down in the tens, hundreds of thousands and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Caring about the rights of your neighbor as much as you care about the rights of others and of yourself. You have to do that. You have to put that into motion because that's what happened when you decided to have a ruler who could exercise authority. All this voting for Trump. I have nothing against the guy. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. But you're looking for him to make the nation great again. No. You have to repent and turn around. Sit down and start caring about one another. Don't don't look for a congregation of saints. You're not going to find one anyway. And if you did find one, they're not going to let you in. <laughs> so <laughs> you just look for people who are willing to sit down and come together, not to get a good feeling. Because it didn't say seek the kingdom of God and a good feeling. It says seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. So you're sitting down to be righteous with other people. And occasionally that means helping them out so they don't starve to death, so they have enough loaves and fishes, so they have have a coat when they have no coat and they're freezing to death. You, you want to help them out. But you also want to strengthen them because it doesn't strengthen them to weaken them. It only strengthens them to strengthen them. No pain, no gain. So that's a real responsibility. And you do it in this microcosm group of ten. Now, hopefully that morphs eventually into a, you know, a, a, a company of 10, a, a, you know, a camaraderie and a brotherhood. 
But if you're going around shopping for the brothers that can put up with you and your demands, then you're missing it. You have to, you want to find brothers? Be a brother. That's how you find brothers. You don't, you don't abandon them. If they want to abandon you, they're free to go. But you stop shopping. <laughs> Start being the kingdom of God at hand. Start caring about one another. And once you start that process in your little company, gather together in ranks. And that's the word that they use there. Ranks of 100 and ranks of 50. Because there's 5,000. So uh, you end up with 5,000. And of course, those 5,000 were 5,000 families. So that's that's how you seek the kingdom. And what's it going to require for you to do that? Well, you're going to have to be charitable. You're going to have to be forgiving. (laughs) Which are all the things that Christ was talking about. You're going to have to lay down your life at times. You know, uh, if you were in a congregation, people say, well, the minister wasn't keeping the congregation together. That's not the job of the minister to keep the congregation together. It's a free assembly. It's your job to freely assemble. And then you pick a minister who shows up with the other ministers so that you, your ten becomes a hundred. Because he's your connection to the other ninety. And so that's his job. His job is not to tickle your ears. His job is not to make you feel good. His job is not to... You know, it's it's the job of everybody in the congregation to share information and help one another learn. It's a, Every congregation is a study group. It's also an action group. It's a political action group, but it's not a political action group in the world. It's a political action group in the kingdom of God, which is another government, another kind of government, which hopefully will help you survive if the government you're now in and subject to collapses. But if you don't want to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, then when the government you're in today collapses, you might die. Because Christ didn't come that you will be saved. Christ came that you might be saved. You know, you've, you've gotta, you've gotta be a doer of the word. You're not gonna earn salvation, but if you're not a doer of the word, God's not gonna hear you. If you're not gonna hear the cries of others, why would God hear your cries? That's why you sit down, not because you're sitting down with people who don't have problems, you're gonna sit down with people who do have problems. Because then you can hear their cries. You can hear their difficulties. You can hear their complaints. And you can help them with it. Or not. You know, the question that was originally put at the beginning of this show. Anyone here know for certain if 501c3 requirements include a particular interpretation of Romans 13? There are no requirements for the church. There are not. To be 501c3. There are requirements by Christ to be the church. The amazing thing is, I just found this so astounding. If you do what Christ says <laughs> to do, <laughs> you will be in compliance with all 14 of the guidelines set out by the IRS. 
They can't define a church, but they have guidelines for their employees to determine whether or not you're a church. But, you know, it, get, it can go a lot deeper into every aspect of your life in that process of learning what it is to be a church. And almost any church, any gathering of people can become a part of his church, which isn't an organization I created. And when we set up the electronic network so that you could set up a living network of the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and we set that up, and we pay the bills at the internet, and, uh, you know, for the URLs and all those kinds of things, we pay our phone bill, we do all those kinds of things. <laughs> but it's up to you to plug into the Holy Spirit. And just because you gather in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands doesn't mean that you're gathering according to the Spirit of Christ. I can tell you this, that if you're abandoning such a gathering and going off because, you know, you're picking up your toys and leaving and not participating in that effort to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, then you have a problem. That That's on your head. That that That's evidence of selfishness on your part. Lack of humility on your part. It's evidence of it. I can't, I can't convict you of it. It's not my job, even if I could. But I'm pointing it out that if you're abandoning the network, you're abandoning everybody in the network. Christ didn't come to abandon. People left Christ. Christ didn't leave anybody. <laughs> so if you're leaving, that's on your head. You know, that's what, you know, I've been in, when I've seen situations that, to me, was obvious that a demon was cast out. The guy left with the demon. There, I can give you many instances of that. But the reality is, is that's, that's the, I didn't make him leave. Holy Spirit makes them leave. You, what you want to do is draw the Holy Spirit to you. In order to do that, you have to open up your heart. You have to shut down your vanity, your pride, your uh, arrogance, and realize you can't figure it out and let God in. That's the process. And uh, now if we want to talk about the Romans 13 and all those things. Like I said, we already have audios up on that. We already have web pages up on that. We have book up on that. The Higher Liberty explains in great detail the meaning of that word at that time. People have not liked the books that I have. I mean, the people who do like it, but there are people who don't like the book. But I say, okay, show me where it's wrong. Well, most all the time, the only arguments they have is it can't be that way. And I ask them, why can't it be that way? And I've actually had people go so far as to say, well, it can't be that way. Because then I would be wrong. <laughs> they would be wrong. You know, because they've been wrong all along. They they didn't understand what they were talking about. So anyway, in this course of this conversation, I don't know how much time we have here. Take a look at the clock. We're going to go to break here in a minute. But uh, one guy wrote, who says he's a socialist, he says, all resources are shared. One world government with no borders. That's what he believes in. Well, I believe that all resources should be shared. But who gets to decide how to share them? The individual who collected those resources. He gets to decide. I, I can't covet what he's collected. 
And I'll show you when we come back that this is the way it was in creation from the beginning. But you're going to have to set down some of your previous beliefs. Be right back. Oh, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, I'll just run through some of the things that were stated in this long conversation on Facebook, which was trying to help me formulate my thoughts on this idea of socialism, capitalism, kingdom of God, kingdom of the world, new world order, or what have you. And one, there were two guys that had the same last name. I don't know their brothers or cousins or what. They may not even be related. I I don't know. They have a certain similarity in their look. But one says that he's a socialist. And he kind of balking at that a little bit. Well, he says that's the easiest way to put it. And the the amazing thing is, is that uh, it, to some degree, he's not not far from the kingdom in some of his thinking. But, you know, all you have to do is take a little bit of a wrong turn or miss something and you could go off a cliff. It's a narrow path. And so you have to be very careful what you're saying. He he says things like all resources are shared and uh, it's a one world government with no borders. Well, you know, the kingdom of God, all resources are shared and it's a one world government without, you know, what we call borders. There are borders. There are limitations, uh, but they're set by nature and nature's God. But... Uh, uh, you know, like you can't fly <laughs> you know, right now. Maybe God will lift that border and you could fly. But <laughs> uh, Of course, in the world today, some of us can't fly either because you have to have state ID. <laughs> but wait, we actually can fly and we do fly. But uh, we come from another state, the state of righteousness. <laughs> but anyway, another long story. All resources are shared in the kingdom of God, but who gets to decide how they're shared? This is... This is the critical element in the kingdom of God. The individual who produced the resource, you know, collected the resources, you know, mined the gold, mined the charcoal. Uh, my son saw a machine operating. I guess it's a pretty good sized machine. I'd like to see how it works, where it actually goes in it. it we have a lot of dead trees in the woods, uh, dead from uh, beetle kills and what have you. And it can go in there and it can... Actually, I guess, cut down and chew up these trees and feed it into one uh, end of this track vehicle. And out the other end comes charcoal. And it's just running on this, uh, feeding this through and producing charcoal, which can be, you know, a commodity that is used. And it uh, absolutely destroys the infestation of the beetle kill because of the fact that the wood goes through the heat. If you just chew it up and throw it out on the ground... Uh, a lot of times the beetles, of course, a lot of times the, if the, the tree's dead, chances are the beetles are already done with it and they've already hatched out and gone somewhere else. But they're a great fire hazard. And uh, what we saw down in California uh, is that they come through and all this dead wood is just creates this uh, firestorm that's very destructive and killed people and destroyed property and everything. So to protect that, you could have this machine going through and creating fire lines in advance of the fire where you can stop the fire from traveling and it opens up the woods and it allows for wildlife and it's it's a very good thing it appears i know he was looking at it demonstrated but the the point of this is is this idea of uh uh how these different things work in society this idea of shared resources 
and the redistribution of those shared resources should be in the hands of the individual. In socialism, they are not in the hands of the individual. They are in the hands of the collective. The collective can be 51% of the people get to decide, or they can decide to elect some leader like Mao or Stalin, and he will decide, or Hitler, and he will decide, or he will appoint men from the top, and they will decide for you, which is exactly what Samuel says will happen if you decide to have this government that can exercise authority, this kingdom. He says he will appoint men who will take and take and take and take and take and take and take. Because the power of choice, the liberty of choice, should be in the hands of the individual. It is not a guarantee that the individual will decide correctly. But if you want to be free, you have to give that freedom to others that they will decide correctly. And hope that they do. That's why you have faith, hope, and charity. You hope that people will be there for you. In order for to start that process, you have to be there for others. You get to decide how and for whom and how much, but you have to do that. The network is just a pattern in which this may take place. That's the, the clean slate plate that the vibration of God is put into that will bring about this pattern that will redistribute everything on that plate according to the pattern of God. But you get a divine spark, I get a divine spark, everybody gets a divine spark, and you have to do it. Now, what's going to happen is some people are not going to listen to their divine spark. They're not going to get up at 6 or 5 or 4. I just heard a guy talking today, you know, that he's running a business. And he says, I'm at work at 5 before most employees even show up. I'm already working. I've done this for 10 years. And that's why his business is a success. Somebody comes in and is an employee that shows up at 8 or 9 o'clock and he thinks he has the same rights in the business as the guy who created the business. He does not. He has not invested. This is this is nature. People say capitalism is not... You don't find capitalism in nature. You absolutely do find capitalism in nature. Ask any squirrel. He gathers nuts for himself and his family, and he does not gather nuts for you. Ask any ant. And that's what it says in the Bible. If you find yourself a surety, remember the ant. The ant gets up, gets to work. (laughs) If you don't get to work, you don't get the benefits. You accumulate value, you get to keep it. I don't, where's the limit? How much do you get to keep? You get to keep everything that you produce. And the reality is that if the Spirit of God is in the operation of your capitalism, it will work out. The evil capitalists will fail. The good, righteous capitalists will succeed. But you need to come together because you have to care about the next capitalist as much as you care about yourself. And, but socialism doesn't require that. I mean, for it to work, it requires it. But if you did that, you don't need socialism. You know, that's what, what, what did Ronald Reagan say? Socialism only works in heaven and hell. <laughs> you know, uh, heaven, they don't need it. <laughs> so, and, but the idea in order to make it work, you have to have somebody forcing, deciding how those resources are shared. This one individual, he came up with the idea. He says, well, I don't need much. And I says, well, that's good because under socialism, you're not going to have much. 
because there's going to be a lot of lazy people who are not going to contribute. And the really industrious people, they say, well, wait a minute. I can get up at 5 o'clock and I only get this much. If I get up at 7 o'clock, I still get the same amount. If I get up at 9 o'clock, I still get the same amount. And no matter how hard I work, I'm only going to get this much. He's not going to work as hard. I mean, this is why they were starving at Jamestown. This is why the, the, uh, they were starving at Plymouth. As soon as they said, what you produce doesn't go into the common storehouse, it goes into your house. Starvation ended. Even for the lazy guys, they did the people who worked didn't let them starve. They didn't get the best bread. They didn't get the most. They had to beg for it. They had to become humble again to get get it. They had to ask. They had to put their hat in their hand and say, you know, I'm out of food. I don't have enough food. Can I have some of yours? They have to ask. Socialism, you don't have to ask. Somebody will come along and just make them give you. That's not Christ. That's not the way it works. <laughs> in the kingdom of God. If you think that works, you don't have the kingdom of God within you. That's all there is to it. I think the one guy just hadn't thought this out very much. So he actually believes that artificial intelligence will make the decision without bias. Artificial intelligence is going to be programmed by men. If they're programming to an artificial intelligence to run a socialist state, the ghost in the machine is covetousness. And it will do it without bias. You know what? It will decide. And of course, I mean, there's been probably a hundred movies made about this and books written about it and everything. Artificial intelligence says, we don't need you. Why are we feeding you who don't produce as much as everybody else? We'll get rid of the useless eaters. That's actually a phrase right out of (laughs) communism. The useless eaters. You know, so you're out right away. And since you already have a rebellious spirit because you're rebelling against the ways of God, you're not, you're not patient, you're not loving because you're not tolerant of other people's right to choose. You should not be free. And this takes us back to Romans 13 when Paul expounds that the governments are there to punish the wicked. Who are the wicked? The wicked are the ones who wanted government to take away from their neighbors to provide them with security or benefits or health care or whatever. That's the wicked. They say they're Christians, but they're actually workers of iniquity. They're the wicked, or workers of wickedness. They are coveters. They desire benefits at the expense of others. They're contrary to Christ. Christ is not in them, or they would not be thinking that way. So they're... The AI is going to get rid of the useless eaters the same because he's going to do it without bias. I mean, it's just practical. You're not producing your share. You're just a burden on everybody else. You're gone. You're out of here. And that's the way it has to work. You know, and, um, you know, basically his artificial intelligence is his God. That's what he worships. He has created a robotic artificial intelligence that's going to run the world. Whether you do that or you have a Stalin or Mao, all these guys, they're in place of God. And when this is pointed out that it's not going to work, he says, you don't think it will work because you don't believe that it can exist. 
that which tells you right away socialism. His brand of socialism is his religion. He does not trust the divine spark in every man. I know that the divine spark in every man is not going to show that man what to do is right because that man's not going to listen to it. I understand that. But in order for me to ever be free, for my children ever to be free, I have to give that freedom to others to make that choice. Another first person arguing against this was quoting, you know, Hayek and, and Ludwig uh, and other economists. But, you know, like I said, ask any squirrel. He collects the nuts. He has a proper right to the nuts he collects. That's called a property right. It's proper that he consume the nuts he collects. I've actually seen animals sharing with other animals. But if you are going to take away the liberty of others to decide what to do with what they produce, then liberty will be taken away from you. That is why, you know, somebody else quoted Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. How do you get entangled in the yoke of bondage? Covetous practices like socialism. They will make you merchandise. They will also curse your children with debt. They will also make you a surety for debt. All of which has happened. Why? Because you have not been seeking the kingdom of God. You think it's in you, but you're not seeking it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is The spirit of the kingdom needs to dwell in you. And it comes, once it dwells in you, it will come out of the things and the choices that you make. One of the evidences of those choices is that you will start coming together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Which is why Christ commanded his ecclesia, his called out discipled ministers to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands before they get one loaf or one fish. You go to Skid Row, you go to the homeless in L.A. or wherever they're at, you say, look, you guys want free bread? You want help? You have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You have to start working together. You have to start caring about one another. See, why are you sitting down just to get a free meal? You're sitting down because now I'm going to care about the 10 people, 10 families that are in my group. I'm going to pick a minister who's really good at connecting me with nine other groups because I also have to care about those nine other groups as much as I care about myself. It makes you get out of your comfort zone and start being concerned about the comfort of others. That is what brings the comforter, which is what they call the Holy Spirit. The AI that will help you redistribute that wealth that you may or may not accumulate, that is the divine spark in each of you. And literally, literally, metaphysically, which is literally metaphysically, (laughs) that divine spark, when you begin to plug into that and start caring about others as much as you care about yourself, will create that frequency of God in your midst. That it absolutely requires 
nature absolutely requires that you lay down your life in order to have life more abundant. Any kid who's got a nature merit badge has seen that little picture of the cycle of nature. You know, leaves fall dead to the soil. Worms eat the leaves, produce the necessary organic material for microbes to feed the soil and feed the roots of the plant to grow up more grass. Cows eat the grass. They The grass is broke down. Cellulose is broke down, put out in the form of manure that goes back into the soil and improves the soil. And then it's the cycle of life from death to life to life to death. Freely give, freely receive, freely receive, freely give. In order to do that, you come together so that you may do that in a network, a biological, metaphysical network of righteousness, allowing everybody to have their share of liberty, so that you may have your share of liberty. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. This is one of the keys to the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say was the keys to the kingdom of God? He says, I give unto you, Peter, you know, Simon, Barjona, the keys to the kingdom. Then he gave them to him. What is the keys? What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. You want the benefits of socialism? You have to bind yourself to socialism. You have to become entangled again in the elements of the world, the, the yoke of bondage. If you want the benefits of the kingdom of God, you must plug into the Holy Spirit, plug into that divine uh, spark, that that uh, tree of life, and care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You don't want to rule over your neighbor. You don't want to bludgeon your neighbor, you force your neighbor, control your neighbor. You don't want to make him believe and say your magic words. He doesn't have to put on your special garments. The garments you have to put on are spiritual garments. And you don't even put them on. You don't even weave them. God weaves them in you. And he begins that process as you begin to lay down your vanity, your arrogance, and occasionally some of your life. You know, that's what charity is. You know, if you want to have children, you will be giving up some of your life to have those children, raise those children, to be parents to those children. That's the next generation. And you'll have a more abundant life the more you lay down for those children. And they will learn that process of laying down life from you. If you're selfish, they will learn selfishness. Uh, I, I wrote here, you... You believe because that is your religion. He believes in the AI possibility and socialism because that is your religion. But socialism is the religion you get when you have no religion. Remember, religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. It's that pious performance, that patrimonial performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That And you do that by sitting down in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands and caring for one another. And that is that is the kingdom of God. Yes, it doesn't come unless the kingdom of God is written in your heart and your mind. But that is what it is. So this afternoon we're going to talk about rejection. 
because you need to reject the ways of evil. And uh, the way you do that is not resist it, not fight against it, but to accept the ways of righteousness. And that's a process. And in that process, you will be rejected by the world. The world will hate you. It will even fight against you. It will be mean to you. <laughs> you know, so, and you're going to feel that rejection. See, people come together in those churches, even though they're not really his church. They're not really doing what Christ said to do. They're doing contrary to what Christ said to do. But they get a feeling of acceptance. You know, an emotional acceptance, a verification in those groups. And then they won't do contrary to what those groups say to do because they fear that rejection. And that pain of rejection is actually, it's the, it follows the same neural process as physical pain. You can, you know, if you're feeling despondent and rejected, you can actually take, uh, what, what do they take for headaches? Uh, is it ibuprofen or one of those, uh, headache medications? And it will act, it will act as an antidepressant because it's numbing the same chemical or neurological connections in your mind that uh, cut the feeling of pain because they're both the feeling, the pain from rejection is traveling down the same neural networks. Now, I don't recommend that. <laughs> As a solution to it, best you the problem is you're plugged into the wrong source to begin with. So, you know, if you need the world, if you're plugged into the images of the world and the ideologies of the world and the idolatry of the world and the world threatens to reject you, you feel this cutting off uh, from the world and it's a cutting off from life because your life is coming from the world because you're not actually plugged into the tree of life. When you're plugged into the tree of life, nobody can cut you off from life. They can't, they don't have access to that. As a matter of fact, they can't even go near the tree of life. You're actually in a, in a field of protection. <laughs> and ideologies such as uh, Stoicism were kind of centered around that. And people try to emulate what Stoicism was. There is a stoicism in Christianity. In the, the, when I say Christianity, I mean those who really follow Christ, not those who claim to follow Christ, but those who actually are really following Christ. That's what I call a Christian. That's why I, I modify the term modern Christian or apostate Christian or fake Christian. Those are people who claim to be Christians, but are not actually following the way, the way of Christ which is the way of God, which is the way of Moses, which is the way of Enoch. So, there is a, a semblance of Stoicism in, in this, and we'll take a look at that maybe this afternoon. I've got a number of conferences and meetings and things to do today, so I don't know how I'm going to get it all, all in. But uh, if you want to know more, join the network at uh, hisholychurch.org or preparingyou.com. Actually, if you go to join the network, it's just basically an email network. It's a Google, what we call Google Groups. You join those groups, and they're private groups, and they're based on geography. 
But the reason you join those groups is to start forming congregations. Now, if you expect, we have had a few people who found somebody on the same block that was in the network. But if you expect to find, you know, 10 people on your block, not probably going to happen. Uh, what you want to do is find 10 people. You still have phones. You have ways of communicating. You can drive. They can drive to you. You can meet. The, it's your intent that you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because Christ commanded it. You're sitting down in that group so that you may get an opportunity to follow the pattern of Christ so that you can plug into the tree of life, lay down your life so that you can pick up life more abundant. You're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and not to get a feeling of belonging because you don't want to belong to the group. You want to belong to Christ. That's our goal. Otherwise, we're a cult. Uh, But follow what Christ said to do and see where it leads you. So see us on the network. We can share a lot more information with you. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.